0: Dave Henderson has worked in pensions and fintech for over 20 years. He headed up the pensions team at Harbury's Lansdowne and he's now head of pensions at Penny. He's got some interesting things to say about member engagement, dashboards and solving the small pot problem. I hope you enjoy listening. I guess an interesting starting point on this was Guy Opperman because I think it was in one of the select committee interviews. You know, he was asked, you know, about his work as, as pensions minister, and he kind of said, if if I could sum it all up, basically, I mean, he did a lot of stuff on ESG and TCFD and that kind of stuff, but really, he said it was about engagement. And you know, he did all simpler annual statements. He did his statement season thing, which mm-hmm. kind of wait. Well, tried to do a statement season thing, got quite a lot of pushback from the industry. So ended up with Big Zoo rapping about pensions. But, you know, Guy pushed foot hard on the, the dashboards. And I think, you know, I'd start from the point of view that he was right about all of that, that given, given where we've got to with pension freedoms and the move to DC pensions and auto-enrollment, we, we kind of need to get people to engage with their pensions, right? So I'd, I'd sign up to that. But it's not going so well, is it? I think
1: it is and it isn't. I mean, last week... There's a lot of news about pensions. It gets people talking about them, but there's still a huge gap. You're right, and we've seen that ourselves. I mean, our clients, or our users at Penny, are people who typically haven't engaged with their pensions. But we've approached them, and and we did a survey recently where we spoke to over a hundred of our users, just asking them what their views on pensions were, and then on trend we used ChatGPT to, to provide summaries of what those yeah, were. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so. Some of the things when we ask the questions, what do you think about when you think about pensions? What feelings come, come up? And it was the things that I think Guy might have quoted as well. So it's anxiety, confusion, concern, complexity. And this has been going on for years. And then things about what have you done to try and solve this? So they're, they're talking about antiquated pension systems. They find it too confusing, et cetera. So it's still out there. still in words like distrust, confusion, confidence around the industry. All of these things have been around for a number of years. And I think there have been some great efforts by companies like Pension Statement Seeds and Scottish Widows do a lot of good work in in terms of Mm. engagement as well. More people are talking about pensions, but there's still a lot more to be done. Whether that's more of a sort of societal thing that, you know, it's okay to talk about pensions at a dinner party. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: maybe maybe it depends on your friendship group i suspect <laughs> yeah yeah but it, and the you, age you get... of them actually you know when i go to the pub with my mates it's quite possible we'll end up talking about pensions so well exactly and
1: that's why you don't get invited to the pub <laughs> anymore but that that sort of mindset that it's okay to talk about these things and it's okay to talk about investing it's okay to talk about savings i think that's where it needs to go and the big the big zoom thing you quote when i first saw that i, I mean i was a bit skeptical but it it probably touched the right audience and even if it gets people talking about it saying I'm not sure that's quite the right way of doing it or not it gets people talking about pensions and that's the main thing that's what's super important I think
0: yeah I agree with that so just echoing some of the stuff you said there that DWP research recently that Found people were, you know, the sort of sort of words that were coming back were detachment, fear, complacency. You know, um, yeah. pe- actually, people don't know they don't seek out information, and that's partly because they don't know where to go for the information. Still, yeah. they, they kind of, and I think there's a bit of a behavioural bias thing going on that once they've been put in an employer's pension, they'll tend to just by default to trust that pension because it's kind of it just feels like a safe and easy. Course of action, but they don't know how to assess information. They, they typically don't have confidence in their own ability to make decisions around that kind of stuff. And they're also really wary of scams. So, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm just struck that maybe these problems are of the industry's own making. But after all these years and years and years of trying to get people to make provision for retirement, as we've seen the decline of defined benefit pensions, it does feel like we're not making much progress here. With
1: regards to engagement, I think we are making progress. I just think it's, it was a low starting point when you talk there about people don't know where to go, I think often they do know where to go. I just, this is where I think the industry does need to step up the game. You see a lot lot of people typically at industry events talking about engagement programs they've got from members and how well received they were and about their digital channels and how they're focusing on, on their app and what they're doing online. And that's all great. That's all fantastic because you need to service individuals in different ways. The thing that is still a bugbear for me and a bugbear from clients, because I've spoken to enough clients to know this, you cannot phone up a company and speak to someone, get through to someone quickly who understands your needs, has your information in front of you and can have a sensible conversation with you about what your options are. And I'm not going down the advice gap channel here. Mm. I'm just talking about getting through to someone to say, have I got a pension with you? How much is it worth? What type of scheme is it? What are my options? We've spoken to a number of clients. I've spoken to a number of thousands of clients probably over the years who still have the biggest frustration. One of the main reasons they'll eventually move away from a company is they cannot get through to someone, they cannot speak to someone, they sit on hold. And that is just, that's just, basic and it's such an important issue. You can't have people switching off because they just can't get through to someone.
0: So you and I both worked at Hargreaves Lansdowne and mm. certainly historically that's a company that was always that understood that. You know, Hargreaves Lansdown was built on kind of understanding, you know, you look after the customer, you give them good service, you pick up the phone when they ring. And for a long time, that really worked. And I think the company's perhaps changed a bit now, but that, I guess, it stood out because it was different because that's not how, typically how pension companies approach customers. It's always, you've got automated telephone answering systems. It takes you persistence to get through to people. I'm interested that the DWP looking at workplace pensions has just pushed out this consultation on value for money. There is a quest- There are questions in there around service, but... It's quite hard to create a context, a regulatory context, where companies are required to give good service. And, you know, in many ways, companies are rewarded by not giving good service, because for as long as their customers are in inert, inert and deterred from engaging, you get to keep the money. So... Yeah. <laughs> Well,
1: you do. You probably do. You're probably right because people just give up and they don't do anything. But will they then make future contributions? Will they transfer all the schemes that they want to consolidate to that company if they can't speak to that company? Will they take retirement benefit, benefits for that company? Will they open up, other, set up other products, investments, ISIS, et cetera, with that company? So, I think it needs a, a bit of a, a broader thought process on that. You're right for a certain number they might just be happy to say well you know we're quite happy with the levels of service and it means the money stays with us but i don't think that's the best approach and it's certainly not longer term for creating a a pensions industry that people have confidence in
0: so we'll come on to pension dashboards and the consolidation question in a a moment but just before we go there i mean i know you know you ran the pensions team at hargreaves lansdowne you know you you're working with another pensions company now penny you've got pretty good experience about what does work in getting people engaged? Now, granted, with Hargreaves, maybe you were talking to a more sympathetic customer base that so people ended up there because they were kind of interested in it. But look, what works? How do you, particularly with people who are perhaps a little little uncertain about retirement planning, how do yeah. you get them engaged?
1: There's there's a few a few different approaches here. I think. I mean, at, at HL, the Peter Hargreaves approach was always on anything that you sent out, would your granny understand it? So don't use jargon, and, th- and this is stuff that. It always gets mentioned with pensions. Don't use jargon. Keep it simple. The companies still don't do that. i was been trying to track down a pension for a family member recently. And I've spent over five hours on the phone trying to get through to them or get the answer. And then what does come through is jargon. It's talking about the PPF, which I know what it is, but the individual doesn't. So keep it simple. Make it easy to understand. Explain the options. If it landed on your relative's desk, would you be happy that they would understand it. So that's that's the basics. But then I think we're in a in a situation where through digital platforms, mobile apps, etc., different ways of communicating. It's that old phrase about skating to where the puck's at. So understanding where your where your members are, where your users, and clients, where they are. So are they on the traditional channels? I mean, at HL we used to have guides, printed guides, send them out to people, and they'd call us, email us. You know, that that would be how you communicate with them. Know you've got social media, you've got Instagram, you've got like, Doddle do quite a lot on mm. Instagram, and I don't know if that works or not, but you, you have to try these things. You've got TikTok, and I saw Henry Henry Tupper, was yeah, he was yeah, tiktok wasn't he? Yeah, exactly. And there's a guy on there. I think his name is Scott McClure. He's yeah. got. I mean, I didn't agree with what he was saying, but he's got an audience. He's got thirty five thousand subscribers. He gets over half a million views. And he is probably more relatable to a lot of members than a printed guide or other. So mm. it's understanding who your who your members are, who your clients are, and designing communications that work for them. Podcasts, that's another way of doing it as well. Lots of companies now do podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Great idea. Well done, Tom. But um, you know, it's just a different way of getting out to your members and helping them understand things and break them down in different ways. Because everyone takes some in information in different ways as well. Some people a better uh, reading for information, watching it, listening to it. So it's, it's making sure you've got all those different channels covered and you're, you're trying to go out to the members in the right way. Yeah. Make
0: yeah. Okay, that, that that all makes sense. And I, I'm sure some listening to this will say, well, yeah, I knew that already. But I think it bears repeating some of the things you said there. So thank you. I'm also struck by just just before we started recording, you were telling me a story about a pension provider, you can name them if you want. <laughs> <They> <laughs> seem to be perhaps deliberately throwing logs on the tracks to, to make it particularly hard for people who'd kind of got engaged and wanted to move their money elsewhere. And and the and the processes were not particularly consumer duty in terms of how they've facilitated that. You know how much of that is an issue as well.
1: That is a big issue. So I won't name the provider because I, I've still got work to be on this. So I won't name <laughs> I won't name the provider. But prime example: requesting information and the members' requests not being followed as per the instructions, and then hiding behind various different rules to not follow those instructions, which then leads to confusion on the members' part, disengagement, and ultimately no action or no decision being made because the whole process gets delayed. And from our point of view as a scheme, then obviously that's frustrating, but more importantly, and genuinely more importantly, is the fact that it is just switching people off. So just get your basic admin right, follow the members' requests, do things in the prompt timescales, have some sensible SLAs, don't be taking a month to review due diligence forms or other. That's just basic. And like you said, this has all been said before, but it's so frustrating that we're still saying it. Just have good outcomes for clients in terms of how you service them, and that will benefit the whole industry. It won't have people switching off.
0: So in theory, market competition should work, but I think it's particularly difficult in this kind of context. Service is hard to measure. People don't frequently make decisions about pensions, so it's not like you're buying tins of beans, where if you don't like one, you can switch to a different brand mm-hmm. the next week. Dashboards should help, but we've just heard from Laura Trott they're being delayed. I'd be interested in your thoughts about any thoughts you might have around the reasons behind the delay. But but then also, you know, will the dashboards help? Will will that get us to where we want to go in terms of people being more able to engage and perhaps more able to make informed buying decisions?
1: Well, I mean, you and me, and I think along with our ex-colleagues. Nathan I've always had a bit of a an ongoing debate joke about the dashboards and I think we had a bet similar to the the traps off uh, trading places the dukes a sort of one (laughs) dollar token bet will it
0: ever happen yeah
1: will it ever happen yeah I was the one saying I didn't think it would ever happen so I'm actually your money's
0: still uh, safe for now
1: (laughs) it's safe for now yeah yeah I'm actually quite surprised and pleased that they've got to where they are I think they are going to be a great engagement tool, not just because of the publicity around it and every, they'll get a lot of coverage as and when they are finally launched. I just think that ability to go in and, and see all your information there in one place is the way of travel in anyway, a isn't it? It's the way people want to see all their accounts, whether it's open banking, open wealth, whatever, aggregator of apps, etc. Everyone wants to see all the finances in one place. And that is going to create better outcomes because you have a better understanding. So I think. They're a good idea. I thought a commercial entity would come along in the meantime and, and solve the problem, but understand that they couldn't do that because you need to have design standards, etc., reporting standards. So there needs to be consistency. You can't just have lots of different dashboards out there. Mm-hmm. So I completely agree with the process that's been, that's been taken so far. I think they are going to be a good thing. I do think they will come in. I just think there's been so much momentum and positivity around it. So much goodwill, time, effort, money spent on them so far, and expectation from the public that we just need to make sure as an industry that we continue that. So I think it would be really useful to to get a timescale for delivery now that it's been paused at some point in the coming months to get some sort of timescale and an approach to say, this is what we're going to work towards. This is when it's going to be delivered just to give everyone that sense of direction. Otherwise, there's a risk. It just becomes a bit rudderless. And what we don't want to do going back to your your chat with Tom Selby last week following the budget about pensions and politics, we don't want it to become a sort of political thing. It just needs to be done. Across all parties, I'm sure, there's agreement that the dashboards will create good outcomes for members. So it'd be good to see that continued and picked up.
0: Yeah, absolutely agree with that. And I, I, I can't see any reason why Labour would push back on the dashboards. You know, it's a bit motherhood and apple pie. Why, why, why would yeah. you not want this? So I'm Reasonably optimistic on that. It is frustrating that Labour has been a bit disengaged on pensions these last few years, so that seems to be changing now. From memory, Laura Trott said she will confirm the timetable before we get to the summer recess, so that's like early July. Yeah, so yeah. so, so by then we should know what the revised timetable and dashboards is. And I kind of agree with you. So much effort has been invested now. So much work has been done. I think we've got far enough down the road that it will push ahead and it will happen. I can't I can't see it getting derailed now. But how, how it then evolves, I'm really interested in where it goes in terms of sort of functionality and what further information becomes available. And then once it's up and running, how commercial entities start drawing off that data and what services <laughs> they can build around it, that's going to get interesting.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to have a sort of, um, whilst there will be no doubt, there'll be a big wish from the industry to have a huge push on it on day one. I think it needs to be almost a softly, softly approach because the risk is we drive everyone to a dashboard and there are going to be unknowns in there. There's just so much data, so many different pension companies, so many variables, and the pension system in the UK is a bit of a rat's nest in in some aspects. So, as much as we can try and make this work on day one, I think there will be some learning and tweaking. I think it's right to pause it because the last thing you want to do at the moment is open it up and it'd be a real car crash because that's no good for anyone. It's no good for confidence and pensions, et cetera. But I think on day one, it needs to be a sort of slow, ruled out process. And let consumers, let individuals gradually get a good understanding of it. Fingers yeah, crossed.
0: Yeah, Roger, all of that. And and the delays so far, it's just down to people kind of still working on the technology. You know, it's just taking longer than people expected. It's it's, it's hard work getting the plumbing right. Is, is that all it is?
1: Yeah, it's, it's the plumbing, it's connectivity, it's the different types of schemes, it's um, the number of schemes involved as well. So I think having the standards and the guidelines is, is, is good. But these things can take a lot of time. So going back to what I said, I think it's good to have the pause as much as everyone wanted it, but just take that time to work through some of the technicalities and make sure it's right on or as right as it can be on day one.
0: And in the meantime, kind of related to that, but but separately, there's the small mm. pots problem. It, this just feels like Groundhog Day. <laughs> Again, right? 2014. <laughs> yeah, so Steve Webb woke up to the fact that we were going to have all these small pot problems. He tried to do pot follows member Ros yeah. Altman came along and pulled the plug. You know, Richard Harrington ignored it. Guy was kind of yeah, we should do something, but didn't do a lot on it. Andy Cheseldine led these working groups. I think they've done I think two reports. Now we've got to the point of the DWP putting out another consultation on it. Should we do portfolios member? It's or should we do consolidators? It's like so. I'd be interested in your thoughts around why has it taken so long? And then these two central proposals that have come out of the DWP. You know, what what are your thoughts on the relative merits of them?
1: Yeah. So I, I don't know why it's taken so long. Like you said, it was it was first announced back in I think twenty fourteen. We said and then paused by in 2015 by, by Ros Altman. Partly, I think they were just working, allowing the auto-enrollment system to sort of go mm. through and make sure there's there's no issues there. Obviously, it is a problem. The number of small pots is growing. It's, well, it 27 billion at the moment, up 37%.
0: Million pots or billion pounds? A billion pounds. Okay. Three, is it three million pots? I think
1: and growing. And growing fast, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. so it's always going to be a problem. And, and as everyone sort of Work patterns change. So used to be 11 jobs over the course of your career. It's going to be more. We've seen a lot of change during the pandemic as well. So there's lots of these small pots, small pots being anything worse than less than, say, 10K, for example. So there's going to be more of these. And you're right, there's been the options and there's a consultation out at the moment, call for evidence, which I think is due back in on the 27th. So 27th of March. And there's three initial proposals down to two. So portfolios member being one, default aggregator being the other and the member exchange being the one that looks like it's been discounted which I think is probably
0: right. Yeah, um, there seems to be... I mean, we just kept bumping into problems with the member exchange stuff. Got a question for you. So there are two two different problems here with small pots. One is the member engagement and the member losing track of their money and you know making poor decisions because they've got five small pots rather than one big pot, all of that. <laughs> so that that is a problem, full stop. There's also a problem with the costs because multiple pots cost more money to administer. And where does the money come from? Inevitably, it comes from the customers you know the, the customer pays for the admin so do you ever say i mean can you throw any numbers out and what does it cost to hold a pension account on the books every year do you know can you come up with a number on that
1: so i'm sure in, in, in my previous life the figure was around about 200 200 pounds wow. whether that's moved on or changed a, a penny it's actually a lot less because we automate so much of the process so I'd expect the figure should be pretty lean these days for companies that a few use. Tens to of
0: pounds, that kind of territory?
1: There or thereabouts, yeah. For companies that can automate everything, including servicing, reports, etc. For more traditional providers, it might might be a bit more. So there's probably a sweet point at which below I, I thought it'd be more like the five K market. Speaking with someone recently, they suggested you no know, some of these big schemes can still make it viable for for less than that. But really, if it's for most of the larger or traditional schemes, or are you really going to want pots of just sort of 5K sitting there on your books? Who They might, like, they might say
0: 5K. Cash. Yeah, we're happy with that. We can, we can yeah. farm a little bit of profit out of that.
1: Yeah, I guess if you have enough of them, but they're not what they're going to do at retirement. Just take it as a lump sum. Yeah. yeah,
0: And, you know, small pots become big pots. You Know so as long as we've got you as a customer, there's the prospect that we might get more money off you in the future. I guess there's that as well. If you've got got, a 500 pound pot sitting with us, well, we're going to struggle ever to make money out of that, aren't we? So, I mean, because one of the questions that DWP was asking is where should we draw the line in terms of the minimum pot size or sorry, the maximum pot size for any kind of consolidation? Mechanism to kick in, you know, what's the upper ceiling for them? And
1: in terms of the solutions that they're offering, Mm -hmm. I mean, the idea of the member exchange, I think if we're struggling with the dashboard at the moment because of connectivity, data, et cetera, I think the idea of a member exchange, as far as I understand it, would be a huge problem in terms of all these different, uh, you know, all these different messages flying about via mm-hmm. different APIs. Have you got this pension? Have you not? It, I think it'd become an absolute minefield, like a sort of scene out of airplane with the air traffic control tower. What
0: was the punchline on that one?
1: Well, it changed as the film went on, but I think the last one was, I guess I gave up the wrong week to give up glue sniffing. So, And I'm not saying that's what's going to happen to some of the people working that but. To me, the idea of all these messages pinging across when the data is not clean in the first place or yeah. people have moved around, a nice idea if everything was working perfectly. I think it's right to be discounted. I think the other two, I think Pop Followers member, default aggregator are probably the better two. But again, with default aggregator, in my own mind, it doesn't, to some extent, seem like it's solving the problem because you need the member to be making that decision really if they don't have a relationship with this aggregator other than being told that this is going to happen unless you say otherwise. I don't think it's really increasing engagement.
0: Well, and the other thing there is, and I was talking to Philip Brown from People's Partnership. I keep wanting to call him the People's Princess, but that's wrong. <laughs> People's Partnership about this. And because to my eyes, if you're going to go down the single consolidator route, if you're going to say, well, any small pots we've got, we'll just kick them across to this, this consolidator. To my mind, it would make sense just to have a single consolidator, consolidators. One yeah. place, you know, yeah. they get all the money. But the industry really doesn't like that. There are a lot of participants, and Phil was talking about this, saying, well, hang on, now that's that's going to be a bit distortive of the marketplace. That's going to have a competition issue there. If, if one aggregator you know, could turn out to be Nest, because it's mm-hmm. like they borrowed a billion pounds off us, and this would be a nice way to help them give some of that money back as we'll just give them all the small pots. But then the gravitational pull of that would start to distort the marketplace and would become a competition issue for other master trusts and some of the bigger schemes. So they'd dig their heels in and say, no, we can't have that. So then you end up with multiple multiple. multiple consolidators and you've got a sort of carousel system and oh look it's all got complicated again
1: i guess you can color that either way can't you both both those points are valid i think you need to have market competition but also from the individual man on the street man lady woman's Mm. on the street it's that understanding and if suddenly you've got five or six before aggregators well who are these how do they differ to my existing pension scheme when do i approach them How do I engage with them? It's just another question. It's just another problem for them. Whereas if you just had one default aggregator, that had a good campaign around it that people could understand was simple and was, that's got more chance of succeeding but I understand what Phil was saying as well
0: Yeah, yeah. and I think simple messages work as we talked about yeah. earlier on so like the pension protection fund has just been fantastic because you can say don't worry even if your employer goes bust your final salary scheme is largely protected because of this scheme here that's that's the lifeboat and everyone goes oh, okay that's good to know I'm, I feel more reassured now Exactly and, and, and with with an aggregator with, a, with a, sorry with a consolidator if this, well it might have gone to one of six different companies and, you know we've got to try and track that down now it's like what same problem again isn't it yeah. yeah 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 so my preference would be for a single consolidator i think that's to me makes more sense than the kind of kicking it across to your new employer when you change jobs because i think sometimes people bounce through jobs so quickly i have multiple jobs that you know, the pot's gonna have to run pretty fast to keep up
1: i think pot followers member i think that is going to be the favored approach i think professional pensions magazine did a poll recently on their pension buzz weekly mm-hmm. surveys they do i think 63 percent we're in favor of Portfolios member as, as the approach. And I think it ensures that the member has more visibility more engagement. Mm-hmm. Also there's the sort of altruistic approach that your employer is looking after you, so yep. it's coming with you. It's in their interest to look after you and therefore your pensions. So you've got that sort of almost like feeling of a safety net over it because you are an asset to that, to that employer. So I think that's probably going to be the most popular approach. But I remember, like you say, I remember speaking to you about this when we were both at Hargreaves a long, long time ago. So it'd be good to get it over the line if that is the approved approach.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And just uh, uh, worth touching on the other proposal that came forward from Anthony Brown, the Conservative MP. He came up with the argument that something we'd explored at Hargreaves was, well, look, rather than doing either of these things, mm-hmm. why not just have a fallback position that if Dave's started a pension with a pension company he's happy with and he's got his logins and he's running it okay when he changes jobs why couldn't he just say to his new employer can i please keep my existing pension and you put your money into my pension you know and that you you could continue to use auto enrolment as a default position for anyone that's not engaged But for Dave, that then means I get to keep the pension account I'm already happy with. And you get the additional benefit that you you avoid any of the frictional costs of moving money around the system because nothing has to be transferred. Now, I quite like that idea. I think there's merit in that. But DWP aren't even consulting on that one. I like
1: that idea. I don't like it if I worked in payroll. I like the idea until there's changes to the pension legislation, for example. So, say, for example, there's a change to contribution allowance limits as a, as a timely one, mm-hmm. or if there's a change to what you can invest in, for example. Now, if you work for a big employer day and you're all in the same pension scheme, typically they're going to communicate, right, this is what it means, but we're going to run some sessions once a month or, or whatever. We're going to have some people come in and talk to you. If you have decided not to move to that scheme, what happens to you? Who's looking after you? How do you ensure that you're getting the same inf- level of information, so I think if you're en- if you're totally engaged with that old scheme, then that's great, and you want to leave it there because you understand it, you understand the charges, you understand investment options, and you've got a real sort of you would like that scheme and, and you want to stay with it. That's fine, but I think there'd be a lot of people that slip through the net, and it's a risk. I think having it on un- through the existing employer, like I said before, they they almost feel like they've got or they should have a sort of safety net over you to look after you as an employee.
0: Yeah, good thoughts. All right. Right, well, should we leave it there and then we'll come back another couple of years and see how we're getting on with these two projects?
1: (laughs) Okay, okay. How many years should we leave it?
0: (laughs) All right. But hopefully it will one day land. It's good to talk to you, Dave. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, Tom. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, then do please consider leaving a positive review and maybe even subscribing for future episodes. The sound engineer was Ross Burns. Thank you for listening.